Hello and welcome to Pediapod for February 2022. This month, identifying gene variants that contribute to the development of epilepsy after acute symptomatic neonatal seizures. of children who survive acute symptomatic seizures as neonates will go on to develop epilepsy. Whilst there are several known risk factors, currently not enough is known about the mechanisms behind the development of epilepsy following neonatal brain injury, and thus it's not yet possible to reliably predict individual risk of developing this disease in this group of patients. In this episode, I spoke to Adam Numis from the University of California, San Francisco. He and his team used whole exome sequencing with targeted gene analysis to look for genetic risk factors for developing epilepsy following acute neonatal seizures, and to identify potential biological processes behind this epileptogenesis. My name is Adam Numis. I'm a pediatric epilepsy specialist at the University of California, San Francisco. And you've been on the podcast before, haven't you? And last time we were speaking about using cytokines as a predictor of epilepsy after neonatal brain injury. You're here again, and this time we're talking about the potential contribution of pathogenic variants. So you've changed tack slightly. Slightly. What we're truly trying to understand is really how epilepsy develops at those kids who are at most risk. So whether that be kids with brain injury from trauma, from birth-related injuries, hypoxic ischemic insults, we're trying to understand why some of those children develop epilepsy and others don't. And it's likely going to be a multifaceted reasoning. It's probably not going to be just one thing like elevated cytokines or genetic variants, but really a combination of all these things. And um, if you could just give us a quick reminder about neonatal seizures resulting from brain injury and how that relates to epilepsy. Yeah, neonatal seizures happen in about one in a thousand children. And we know that about 25% of those kids will develop epilepsy later on in life. And right now, we still don't have great prediction paradigms to understand those who are at greatest risk. Sure. So so there are well-established risk factors for epilepsy, but you're saying that they don't explain all the data, essentially. We don't have a full picture about the pathophysiology of how epilepsy tends to pop up sometimes after neonatal brain injury. Exactly. And so with this particular study, we were evaluating genetic risk factors. So within epilepsy, we know that there are certain genes that will result in a severe type of epileptic encephalopathy like Dravet syndrome, KCNQ2 related encephalopathies. We weren't hypothesizing that those genes would really influence the development of epilepsy in these children with brain injury and neonatal seizures, but rather there would be risk factor genes. So we're not looking for sort of one gene that's going to cause epilepsy in all these kids. We really think it's probably accumulation of different pathogenic variants and epilepsy associated genes that cumulatively added together can increase risk of developing epilepsy after neonatal seizures. And what we did was we did a whole exome sequencing, but then looked at 200 genes that we know are associated with epilepsy in some degree. So there's some evidence that there's an association. This includes some of the genes that have been expertly curated as being definitively associated with epilepsy. That's a very small amount. The ClinVar group is currently working on expanding that number. Um, but we wanted to reach more than that, right? Because we know in a few years, the ClinVera data set's going to be much larger. And so we looked at other genes that are available in commercial panels, added them in, and used that as our sort of data set. So genes that had some type of evidence for an epilepsy association. Okay. And then in terms of the design of the study, you used family trios. Is the rationale behind that that you can sort of tease apart which variants are popping up new in the generation and which have been passed on from the parents? 
Exactly. Yeah. So we did limit it to families where we knew that the child had biological parents who could provide specimens exactly for that. We wanted to know whether these variants were de novo or whether they were inherited from one or other of the parents. And when we're classifying variants as pathogenic, likely pathogenic, benign, likely benign, or a variant of uncertain significance, that data is important to help us with processing and interpreting that data. So it was really important for us to have that. You're sort of casting your net really quite wide and seeing seeing what you pick up. But there was another focus of this study, wasn't there, with targeted genetic analysis? Yeah, so we casted a wide net, right, with the whole exome sequencing. But the first part of our study was really doing this targeted analysis of these of these genes associated or had an epilepsy association, right? Um, and so that's that's what we did there. Um, but when you do a whole exome, you're right, you get a, a plethora of data, many, many more genes, right? Thousands and thousands of additional genes. And so we used, we leveraged that data set to help us do some sensitivity analyses, right? So we found this association where children with postneonatal epilepsy had a higher likelihood, a, a higher chance of having a pathogenic variant in an epilepsy-associated gene compared to those who did not develop epilepsy. As a sensitivity analysis, right, we want to make sure that this, this looks good and makes sense. We looked at genes associated with coronary artery disease, right? You wouldn't expect children with epilepsy or their parents to have an increased enrichment of pathogenic variants uh, in coronary artery disease genes compared to those kids who didn't develop epilepsy. So we looked at then 85 genes associated with heart disease and compared those two groups and found no difference between them, which is you know what we would expect, right? If this association in epilepsy genes is real, you would hope that you would not see any signal in other types of disease sets where we're not, you know, these associations shouldn't be there. But it was reassuring for us to know that, you know, we saw a signal in the disease process that we were looking for, and we did not see any signal for an association in a disease process that we thought was unrelated. So what kind of variants did you pick up then from the analysis? Yeah, so we found six pathogenic variants, five of those in the children who developed postneonatal epilepsy, one in a child who did not develop postneonatal epilepsy, and these were in different genes. So again, we kind of hypothesized that we wouldn't find, you know, variants in genes that are associated with very severe type of epilepsies, right? That would independently cause an epilepsy syndrome like SCN1A, SCN8A, KCNQ2. Rather, we would find these variants in genes that have an association with epilepsy where the penetrance may not be 100%. So a parent might have a variant um, and be unaffected, though the child may have it with the same type of variant. What we found were there, again, these epilepsy association genes. So that's where we found these variants kind of hiding is within these epilepsy association genes. So in their own right, they can cause epilepsy in some children. Our hypothesis is that, you know, in the correct setting, like a child with brain injury resulting in neonatal seizures, having this sort of second hit just increases the likelihood of that of seizures to develop again later on. And then we looked at the entire data set, right? With an exome analysis, you have a huge plethora of data. And what we then did was we looked, you know, again, in exploratory fashion, given the numbers are small, we looked at different pathways that might be changed between these two groups in terms of the children who develop epilepsy and those who don't develop epilepsy. And what we're looking for is, is trying to understand mechanisms that might be related to epileptogenesis in these children. And so were there any kind of neat stories then in terms of trying to unpick potential mechanisms for how these variants are increasing risk? Yeah, so in the whole exome analysis, so we remove the epilepsy association genes, right? We know that those are already associated in our study. We take all of those out and then we look at all of the other genes in the exome. And what we found was there was a relative enrichment in genes associated with synaptic transmission in those kids who develop epilepsy. 
and there is an enrichment in ubiquitin or cell death related genes in those who didn't develop epilepsy. And so this is something we're still trying to understand, but certainly could help give insights into mechanisms. And certainly this is something we're looking at um, doing in a much larger cohort, but it kind of makes sense, right? Epilepsy is inherently an imbalance between excitation and inhibition in the brain. So kids who develop epilepsy, you expect may have differences in the way their synapses are transmitting, the way their neurons are talking to each other. And of course, as you've said, I know you want to do a larger study and get more robust numbers. But um, in terms of, you know, some of those ideas you're having about pathophysiology, do you also think that maybe these results might lead the way towards a kind of a more personalized therapeutic approach to childhood epilepsy? Exactly. Uh, some of the genes we found in the group of children who developed postneonatal epilepsy, there have been some drugs that may be better, some anti-seizure medications that may be better for kids with that particular gene change. So we've been trying those medications in kids within our cohort, and we have seen benefit in them. So certainly I think that's our goal is to develop this personalized type of approach to epilepsy management. And you started this conversation by reiterating that epilepsy isn't one thing, is it? Do yeah. these results shed light on the etiology of like particular forms of this disease more than others? I think it gives us a lot more questions than answers just yet. But again, going back to the work that we've published before and other works that we have in the review process, right? I, I think genetics is going to help us understand why some kids have an altered inflammatory response or have an altered histone modifications to, as a result of these acute symptomatic seizures or brain injuries, right? So you may have a genetic change that alters the way your body reacts to a particular injury or, or seizures early on, and that can help us understand that better. So there's a lot of things we need to try to understand, and that's where you know we have uh, we have grant proposals in right now that you know hopefully fingers crossed will get funded and will help us answer some of those outstanding questions. In your opinion, is the paradigm with regards to epilepsy sort of shifting from something that we need to work out how to maybe predict? but then just deal with to something that we might one day sort of understand to the degree that we could prevent it happening in the first place? That's my hope. I mean, that's the whole goal of what I do is that. And so I think we are making a lot of progress. And again, as these sort of technologies become more accessible to us in terms of sequencing, small RNA sequencing, where I think we're finding out a lot and really we'll be able to do some pretty cool stuff, actually preventing epilepsy, not just managing it. That was Adam Numis from the University of California, San Francisco. And that's the end of this episode. See you in a month for the next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening.